Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Good evening. Welcome to Safety Wars. We're broadcasting from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north in beautiful Arkstown, New York, where peace reigns and hatred has no home. How you doing tonight? We're sailing right into the weekend here. So we're going to take, this is actually, we're taking two on this. Uh, about two months ago, I did not hit record when I did this content here, this whole thing here, I did not hit record. So we're gonna do it again. So uh, Jay Allen and a couple of other people, by the way, I was on the line with Sheldon Primus uh, last night before my son's birthday, uh, I'm sorry, what am I saying? Baseball game. And uh, we had a nice little chat. We, as usual, when Jim Polzel's involved, it goes all over the place. What we were talking about different things and safety and the safety world and everything else. And so tonight, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about presidential primaries. So just to give everybody a background, I was involved in political campaigns back in the early 2000s, uh, presidential campaigns, not important what candidates I supported. But what I noticed was that very few people, if any, know what the hell is going on in politics, how you get on the ballot. It's not covered in civics classes in high school. And my cousin, Carl, my distant cousin, Carl, uh, from Germany, he, uh, no, after the last presidential, uh, election he emails me he says jimmy what's going on here i don't understand any of this can you please explain it to me and after i explained it to him he was like oh okay that makes sense and so if you're dealing with a smaller country direct democracy is phenomenal my opinion again this is my opinion not safety fm's opinion direct democracy is great when you're directly electing uh uh candidates and majority wins majority votes wins we have what's called an electoral college system in the united states and every state is allocated a certain number of electors meaning and we'll go into how they're selected at least in new jersey and i believe new york is the same way long story short the states run the elections. In a lot of cases, in the primary, the political parties run the elections. So states have primaries, uh, and they you know, they run the elections. And the election season starts officially on uh, February 3rd, 2024, not too far away, less than a year away, with Iowa, the Iowa caucus, which is not a primary, and that a caucus is where people get together and they talk about the candidates and they meet in the pre-designated areas. The hold on here. The primary, first primary is the New Hampshire primary in February eleventh. However, the filing deadline, if you're a candidate, and we're going to talk about that, is sometime in the middle of November. 
something like November 11th. Don't quote me on this. Check it out uh, on that. Uh, and every state has a different way of doing things. Not every, uh, not 50 different ways, but there are several different ways of getting on the ballot. Why am I going through this? Is that don't be manipulated. We're being manipulated every day. Don't be manipulated. Be educated. So what does it come down to? Parties nominate their candidates at county conventions and at the conventions you see on TV for the presidential races. So the there are 3,243 counties. Not every county has a uh, uh, county convention, but let's assume for argument's sake and does, uh, for ease of understanding, that's we have 3,000. 243 counties. Now, to get on the ballot in the state, right? you have to send somebody, if you're a candidate, to every one of these counties, preferably somebody from that county, 3,243 counties. So you have every weekend, starting probably in uh, December or November for the early primaries, they have county conventions. And those counties nominate you and the idea is to be on the first line of whatever the ballot is getting some feedback here you have to be on the first line of every ballot uh so you have a an r state you have columns you, your idea is to be on the first line of that column that means that you have the county uh the county endorsement and chances are, if you get the county endorsement, you're probably going to get nominated. All right. And again, this is a much simplified uh, uh, model here. So you add a minimum. What do you need? You need 3,243 counties and uh, county conventions, 3,243 representatives to go there and plead your case. Uh, that means that you need to go and whatever structure they have in that county, you need to comply with it. Now do you get the scope of what of a presidential candidate uh, campaign? So now you have 50 different states. And I'm not going to talk about the District of Columbia here where they have a system in there. You have 50 different states, which means you need to have 50 state coordinators. You have to have 50 state treasurers associated with that, preferably a CPA or someone who really knows numbers. Then you need 50 state coordinators. And there may be some overlapping uh, uh, duties here. And you need about 150 assistant coordinators to fill in the gaps of being the assistant state coordinator or the assistant, uh, uh, like a, a volunteer coordinator or something like that. And you need a lot of volunteers thrown in there. So uh, uh, you need the volunteers at the right time to operate phone banks like we did in the old days, uh, maybe internet, uh, different internet resources out there, social media, things of that nature. So you're looking at roughly, I'm going to say a round number, you have to have 3,500 people involved. Right? And you may need more than that because you may need 50 attorneys uh, associated with so. You're looking at 3,550 people, roughly, uh, to manage your campaign if you're going to be in a presidential campaign. Now you're not. Are they paid or not? Some campaigns are paid. Sometimes they're uh, volunteers. Sometimes the volunteers are looking for a payoff later on sort of thing, right? Then... Let's, then, on your primary day, you get on the ballot for that state... And how do you get on the ballot? You have to have what are called signatures. Ballot signatures in most states, and a lot of states, the state uh, the uh, party runs the show, so to speak, in conjunction with the Secretary of State or other designated official. So we have all of that stuff going on at one shot here. So, for example, uh, by the numbers, I did a little bit of reading here for change and uh, uh, some of the states 
you need no uh, uh no uh, uh buddy and on the ballot you no know, it's all handled by the uh, state parties and they may have their own requirements require a ballot of some sort some states have you need over 10,000 11 or 11,000 ballots uh, signatures from registered voters or people who intend to register by the primary date there's an argument to be made for that depending on where you are again I'm uh, speaking real generalities here now these uh parties then uh, uh, now that some of them are like 11,000, you have a certain amount of time to collect those. So you have to have your stuff together here to get nominated, to get on the ballot. Then you're on the ballot. Now you go and you put it, now you go for the primary day and you vote. Now there's also a price for getting on the ballot. Also, some States are free. Some States are up to like $20,000 like South Carolina. Because they're trying to weed out a lot of different people. So as of today, right, uh, let's say April 21st, Friday, April 21st, we have declared candidates, according to the news and press reports, and remember, Biden has not declared his candidacy yet. It's expected sometime next week uh, for President Biden. So on the Republican end, you have Trump, you have Haley, you have Ramaswamy, Hutchinson, and today Larry Elder uh, has reportedly uh, 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 declared his candidacy. On the Democrat side, you have President Biden, Williamson, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., right, the uh, son of the assassinated nominee from 1968. And you want to talk about uh, upheaval in the country in 1968. It's incredible. Uh, out there uh, with the rioting and everything else that was going on. So now we have our thing. Now do you understand what it takes to be to run a presidential can, uh, primary here, to run a candidacy? This is why it costs a lot of money to run this. You have to pay people. you got to pay every campaign office, unless someone's going to run it out of their house, which you're really not supposed to do. It's not really recommended. Uh you have to have 50 campaign offices, maybe more. In some of the larger states, more than 50. Uh, more than uh, 50. You may need uh, uh, three or four for uh, some states, like Texas, California. Then you need lawn signs. Then you need mailers. Then you need uh, services to mail things out, unless you're going to have volunteers do it. Do you understand this is a massive undertaking? So now with all of these candidates here, you have to put into your what has to come into your calculus for a candidate that you support. And I'm not endorsing candidates here. Which candidate is going to be able to get their gouverno together, to get their stuff together, to then go and get on the ballot? So you're saying, well, Jim, this is not really safety related. Yeah, it is safety related. It's called psychological safety. I've seen people have nervous breakdowns because the candidate that they were supporting did not make it on the ballot, and there were candidates that you've heard of. So one of the strategies here is that you often get people who say, well, like New Jersey and Hawaii are like the last uh, 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 primaries to be decided. So you get people who say, well, look, I'm not going to uh, uh, do anything uh, to get on the New Jersey ballot because it's due sometime in April. So now I'm going to concentrate on the ones at the beginning and see how I do. And then by then it's too late. And they don't make it on the ballot. This is one of the things that is a barrier for this ballot access is the barrier for third parties. Because since the two major political parties run this, now the third party cannot get in there. We had a guest on here, Murray Saverin, not too long ago. He ran as a libertarian for governor of New Jersey, and I believe it was 1997. You want to hear the negative stuff that got thrown his way in 1997? 
It was like, well, who who the hell is this guy? Why is he here? No, he shouldn't be here on the stage. He's a third party person. And because in 1992, you had a guy named Ross Perot, a businessman. Ross Perot get on, got on the ballot in 1992. Uh, basically, he was a Republican and was under the Reform Party. What ended up happening was in 1993, once the smoke cleared and President Clinton was elected by the Electoral College, and we'll talk about that in a minute, he was able to, uh, uh, after he got, President Clinton would not have been elected had Ross Perot not been there and taken votes or electoral votes away from uh, President uh, George W. Bush. Just something to consider there. All right? So after that, the two main political parties made it much more difficult for people to get on the political, uh, get on the ballot and do what we're talking about. So what's the Electoral College? So you see... The electors, you, when you're voting for a president, you're actually voting for electors. So under the original system, and every state now is run a little bit differently. Under the original system, in uh, 1796, I believe, was the first uh, election, you had the popular vote, and then you had the electoral vote. And to be an elector, every state runs it a little bit differently. I have been nominated uh, uh, as an elector a couple of times. And so when now that you're president, right, right, you, they're in the primary, you got those candidates on, every, at least in New Jersey, you have a slate of, candidate, of electoral candidates. So if your candidate happens to make it to the general election and then at the general election goes and uh, wins... Now that elector goes and has the honor of usually going to the state capitol and casting the electoral vote for that person. The person who gets 270 electoral college votes wins the presidency. Now, it's a plurality here, basically. So you can have electors being uh, just whoever gets the 270. You can have a three-way race, like in 1992 with Ross Perot, or what have you. Uh, you have all different things. And at, the thing is, this is what it comes down to at the convention. At the convention, based on the primary and everything else, they have, like an electoral college, that's where you have the delegates casting votes for whoever the candidate is from that state. And it could be more than one candidate from that state. They could split things all different ways. Each political party runs in a different way. And this is an oversimplified way of explaining this uh, to you. Why is it important? We're going through the biggest manipulation that you're going to see ever. Both sides. Coming up, 2024. People get excited. People get upset. People get wrapped up in things. They don't think clearly. I've heard of people going bankrupt already. And that's my message for today because this is now becoming an issue here uh, for the 2024 election. Uh, we'll see uh, when we uh, get closer. Maybe we'll have an election night coverage in 2024. I don't know if we're still here. I plan on still being here, but you never know. So, uh, that's my message, my opening message here, and we're going to go to commercial break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars. 
Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Right, Jessica, I'm your daddy. So now we can get on with the safety talk and everything. So uh, I I hope that was useful for you folks out there. Uh, it's a different perspective. You know, I've come to the point where I decided I really cannot discuss politics anymore with a lot of people. Once you've been in, in the arena, so to speak, as President Nixon said, once you've been in the arena and you see what goes on, the different stuff... Uh, and everything else that goes uh, on here, you realize that there's a lot more than what you see on the news. One of the things that I try to do, I genuinely try to do, is I try to see the other person's point of view. Before I make an argument... I try to make their argument, meaning understand what they're ta- where they're coming from. And this is what's lacking a lot in our society. And it leads to people being demonized. And I don't th- see this ending a very, uh, I don't really see this ending in a good way here uh, with everything. Uh, and I just clicked on the wrong thing and oh, my entire screen went blank here. So I'm going to be recreating things, and I apologize for that. So there was an article that came out today on eschatology, meaning the end times, the study of the Bible and end time prophecies and everything else. So reportedly, uh, Sir Isaac Newton uh, talked about the apocalypse. And, uh, you know, less one of the lesser-known things. He was uh, known for a lot of stuff. Uh no, uh, uh, with, uh, no, with, uh, uh, Doomsday, no, some of the more popular ones have been, uh, uh, Nostradamus from about the 1400s, 1500s with his quatrains and everything, which I have a copy of. Uh, I've read a couple of times and, uh, then you have other people out there, uh, uh, late great planet earth by Hal, uh, Lindsay, then you had Harold Camping from Family Radio fame that I believe was 1994 was his book on prophecy and then towards the end of his life he was predicting 2012 you had uh, all different types of uh, authors talking about 2012 and there was a movie 2012 so Sir Isaac Newton predicted the world would end roughly in about 2060 and people are starting to know again we're starting up again with this. I remember when I was a kid, it was 2000 because there was a, of the uh, conversions of the planets or something. Harmonic conversions, I believe it was in 2000. And that was going to be the end of the world and the end of the age. And I went back uh, uh, many, many, uh, no, this is what one of the things is if you grew up in the 70s and the 80s during the Cold War, a lot of this stuff came about. You had certain uh, religious denominations that called themselves Christians that came out with uh, all of this stuff about the end of the world, uh, the hell and damnation, and everything else. So 
as everyone here knows, my father was uh, passed away last year. And time to clean out the house. There are some areas of the house I, that were mine. I lived there you know, from high school and after high school and after college. And I had books. And a lot of books. Right? Uh, some of them were Star Trek-related books, which I saved. A lot of them had to do with end-time prophecy. I got rid of all of them. Because not one of them came to fruition. Any of those books. Or it was like a multi-level marketing thing. Or behavior-based safety. Let's face it. We should do a program on how behavior-based safety is like multi-level marketing out there. And what happened was the... When I saw none of this stuff came true, all of a sudden, I said, well, what good is it? It's called the false prophet type of thing. I got rid of everything. And then later on, uh, we did a, a Bible study in uh, uh, my church on the Lutheran slash Catholic traditional point of view on Book of Revelation and everything else. And it was a book of hope uh, Let's see if I can get the copy, uh, the uh, the uh, name of the book. Do do do. Hold on. Do do. I have it right here in my bookshelf. Give me a second. I mentioned it, and now it's going to drive me nuts. The rest of the program. Hang on. I'm sorry, they tell you never to do that, but we're on the subject. I get on the subject every time I talk about eschatology. There is a book out there, Revelation for Today, A Book of Hope. Right here. Guy by the name of Richard L. Jeske. I wish I had the book. It's The way it's written, it was in response to a lot of the eschatology stuff coming out in the early 1980s, end times stuff, and then the 70s. And I tell you what, I got a copy of this book. You can get it on Amazon, used books, a couple of the other used book services. It'll put away all of this hell and damnation stuff about the end times. Guess what? So that's by Richard L. Jeske. I have two copies, uh, one copy by some... Uh, miracle, I guess, was autographed by the author. The author died a number of years ago. Didn't have to pay extra. So it's all about manipulation. So uh, what did uh, Isaac Newton say here about end times? World was going to end in 2060, right? Legendary scientists, are, and this is from the Daily Star, once predicted the world would end in 2060, uh, and people are terrified that he might be right. Many people have predicted the end of the world, from St. John the Divine in the first century A.D. to random time travelers and no, all different types of this. Uh, so uh, uh, recent surveys suggest that roughly one in seven people believe the world would come to an end in their lifetime. I'm going to tell you this, and they have the original uh, letter here from Sir Isaac Newton. This is, again, made to put you off balance and made you know, just like with all the other stuff we talk about here, made to control you. When you're off balance, you're easily controlled and manipulated. And that's what it comes down to. So what are we about? We're about people becoming educated and trained, not uh, radicalized and or uh, uh, manipulated or anything else. So here we have the Ocean News Briefs for today. U.S. Department of Labor Rosfield and Gorey Construction to promote safety at an Alabama construction site. That they will prevent injuries during Cooper Green Mercy Health Hospital construction. So this is an alliance uh, named uh, today. Today, OSHA and Rosfield and Gorey Construction signed a, a strategic partnership to promote safety and health practices to help in preventing worker injuries and exposure to hazards during construction at of Cooper Green Mercy Health a five-story, 
a 211,000-square-foot hospital, and parking deck in Birmingham, Alabama. So, again, uh, these things, I'm going to point them out. Good job. You have partnerships, strategic partnerships. Here we have a strategic partnership agreement also announced today uh, between Moss and Associates and OSHA to promote workforce or workplace safety and health during the construction of a Central Florida hotel. And this is for the construction of a 492,000-square-foot hotel, 15 stories, and uh, on a two-acre parcel off the Clearwater Beach Barrier Island. So, again, this is another strategic partnership. U.S. Department of Labor to honor workers whose jobs uh, claim their lives and recommit to protecting workers. I believe we talked about this yesterday, uh, where on uh, April 28th, there are going to be, uh, there's going to be the Worker Memorial Day, another good thing that we're doing in this country. Dollar General, again, found uh, uh, exposing employees to fire and entrapment hazards at the Federal Workplace Safety Inspection at an Orlando area store. Maybe some of our Orlando people could go down there and inquire about this, get in on this. The agency cited the company with one willful violation, two repeat violation. And what are they finding them for? The usual. Locking uh, uh, walkways. Items stacked in an unstable manner. Exposing workers to trip and struck by hazards. All preventable stuff. Easy, easy peasy stuff. So here we have uh, U.S. Department of Labor announces new members on the Maritime Advisory Committee on Occupational Safety and Health. There's 15 new members uh, serving two-year terms uh, beginning April 13th of this month. That's why they made the announcement yesterday. They represent, they represent uh, interests of workers, employers, occupational safety and health organizations, and the government. Committee meets twice a year. The appointees and their areas of expertise are as follows. Uh, Aaron Arabaski, let's see if I know anybody here. Robert Fior, I think I met him once. Michael Oathhood, these are employee organizations. Adam Wazell, employers. Uh, we have National Maritime Safety Association represented, Sound Testing Incorporated, Virginia International Terminals. Uh, personnel uh, uh, working there and using terminals. This is uh, safety and health professional organizations. You have Teresa Nelson from the American Industrial Hygiene Association, Donald V. Ruffo from the Marine Chemist Association, and Lawrence Russell from NFPA. Okay, so we have uh, a nice eclectic and the rest are government officials on there. So, really good. We're going to do our weekly update to the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. We were on Coast to Coast AM a couple of weeks ago. A couple of months ago now. Yes, I did spill some seltzer water on myself. Uh, okay, so there is a welcome center at 25 North Market Street. It remains open to the public from Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and from Sunday from 1 to 6. This would be uh, a good road trip. I've, I'm dying. I, no, I'll send this over to my wife. Let's see what she says. I want to go to the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment for vacation. April 21st, the south track through East Palestine is open to commercial uh, traffic. Excavation and north track and cleanup of the impacted soil will begin the, tomorrow, Saturday, April 22nd, Earth Day. Trace atmospheric gas analyzer personnel remobilized to the site on Wednesday, April 19th to prepare for the restart of excavation work. EPA's Welcome Center will have the redu reduced uh, hours on Sunday. Air monitoring continues at 23 locations around the community. Review of data supports air monitoring trends that air quality has remained below screening levels. The EPA plans to attend an air monitoring and sampling information se uh, session uh, next week. Uh, now check the site for details, epa.gov. And, ooh, let's see what this is. The East Palestine Train Derailment Response Newsletter. Stream assessments are ongoing. So they're continuing to 
uh, uh, take some measurements. They mentioned dissolved oxygen meters uh, that look for the level of dissolved oxygen, which gives a snapshot of water quality conditions at the moment to see if the waterway is suitable for fish and other animals. Uh, some uh, sediment cleaning continues in Sulphur Run. Air knifing teams are making progress on Sulphur Run. The process involves smoking a pressurized wand in the stream bank to see if there are any pockets of contamination. If contaminants are released, then they are taken up by a vacuum truck immediately downstream. And a fill system, portable high-throughput integrated laboratory identification system, is uh, on-site. Phyllis is one of the EPA's mobile laboratories used for on-site analysis of samples. Phyllis involved three mobile units using state-of-the-art uh, technology, and that's deployed to sites like this. And, and the idea is to process samples on site within 24 hours, which is critical for this type of a cleanup. So by the numbers, as of April 14th, so this is as of last Friday, uh, 25,396 tons of contaminated soil are shipped, have been shipped, 12.2 million estimated gallons of water shipped, 407 plus, uh, uh, private wells have been sampled and 147 uh, uh, areas sampled for soil analysis and 562 people can stop by the Welcome Center. So that's of the 18th here. Now, I wonder if I could do this on here. Hold on. This should work. Okay, hold on. We are going to see if we can do this. Okay, so here we have, uh, I hope we can all hear this. Hi, I'm Trish Edwards. I'm the current operations section chief with US EPA FTE East Palestine train derailment. I'm currently standing um, where mainline one was located during the train derailment. This area has been excavated. I guess we can't do that. So they have videos here showing uh, the uh, uh, extent of the contamination. If you're seeing this. Okay, we'll be better prepared next Friday when I give our next update. So, forget about that idea, huh? All right. Uh, Hold on. Okay, we're at roughly 39 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a little break here because I screwed up my entire screen here. So we're going to go to our second commercial break. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? 
Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, we're, we haven't talked about money in the last couple of days, but here we go. The markets were all in the green today for the most part. Dow Jones Industrial Average at 33,808, S&P 500 at 41,033, NASDAQ at 120,000, uh, uh, 12,072, S&P 500 at 4133, Russell 2000, 1791.51, US 10-year Treasury note is at 3.577%. Those are all up. Bitcoin uh, is down slightly from the last time that we spoke about it. But it's up slightly today, uh, trading at 27.368 as of right now, 8.42 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Crude oil is at 77.95 a barrel. That's come down a little bit. Precious metals. Gold is down uh, to 19.95.10. Silver at 25.34, down slightly. Platinum at 11.47.40. Palladium at 16.38.50. So uh, platinum, palladium up slightly, silver and gold down slightly. Do-do-do. So Elon Musk, uh, in case you don't know, he had a real bad day yesterday when one of his starships, when the starship exploded. SpaceX, right? Uh, but the thing is, it's the biggest thing that ever left the, uh, the ground here, right? Uh, biggest rocket ever uh uh, uh, ever uh, generated, ever created. So it's really a uh, mixed bag here, right? Bad that it exploded, but good that they got it off the ground. And that's, I think, what they all wanted to do to begin with, uh, show that it can work and everything else. I guess. Uh, no, that's what we're uh, doing. We're, let's head on over. I had everything all set up, folks. And one click of the mouse, and everything disappears. Okay. This is from uh, the Epoch Times. Complete this uh, complete, uh, complete uh, disclosure. They're printed in, like, my neighborhood almost. So uh, everything is fouled up here. Hold on. And everything logged me out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know you're not supposed to mention any of this, but guess what? We're all human beings here. Things happen. The Epoch Times is, for us, a local newspaper. Lawmakers in uh, Colorado House of Representatives voted early on Thursday morning to shelf a bill that prohibits people from buying and selling assault weapons in the state. The bill, HV 23-1230, was brought by Denver Democratic Representative Elizabeth Epps. The bill defined assault weapons as semi-automatic rifles that can be made to accept a detachable magazine. It has any number of additional features, including a pistol grip, a collapsible stock, flash suppressor, threaded barrel, going on and on and on. And uh, so uh, basically, uh, they decided to shelve it. Uh, I don't know for what reason. I do know this much, uh, that uh, any one of these bans could be gotten around. Number one, and it's not the rifle so much; it's the ballistics. 
Assault weapon ballistics are the same as non-assault weapon ballistics. That I know. Uh, Tennessee, Tennessee House Republicans clash with government, Governor Lee on gun confiscation order. Republicans in the Tennessee House of Representatives are signaling defiance of their fellow Republican Governor Bill Lee after he proposed legislation to allow law enforcement officers to temporarily seize firearms from persons if a court agrees that they pose a threat of harm to themselves or others. Tennessee policymakers have considered a number of news law, new laws since March 27th Covenant school shooting in which an assailant killed three children and three employees at a private Christian school in Nashville. And these days after the shooting, Lee proposed a revised state budget uh, that included additional spending for school security uh, and everything else. Now, come to think of it, so uh, for all of us here, and I think if you were alive in the 1990s, uh, 1999. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't 99. I know it wasn't 99. When was the Columbine shooting? I could be wrong on here. Twenty-four days. Maybe, uh, Thursday marks a dark day in Colorado history. Twelve students and a teacher at Columbine High School were killed on April twentieth. Okay, I was wrong. Nineteen ninety-nine. I'm thinking of another situation, which was the Oklahoma City bombing on roughly April twentieth and twenty-first. Col- Coloradians remember the tragedy on this day to honor the lives. And this is from yesterday of those killed and injured. On this day, Columbine students, staff, and the community work a day of service to honor those victims. Right, so this is going back a long time. We're dealing with this here. Uh, Oklahoma City bombing was this week too. Which what's the anniversary for for that? That was April nineteenth, nineteen ninety five. I got those dates mixed up. Uh, incredible. On the morning of April 19, 1995, an ex-Army soldier and security guard named Timothy McVeigh parked a rented rider truck in front of the Alpha, Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City. Right? And well, I'm not going to mention how he did it because I don't want to give anybody ideas. And uh, that's basically it, what comes down to that. April 20th, again, uh, this is when uh, a lot of uh, people want to commemorate. You know, if you go into some religions, April 20th and this whole week is like a bad week. Uh, that's what I learned uh, this week uh, with some uh, lesser-known religions here. April 20th, bad vibes this entire week. This is also the week that Adolf Hitler was born. So, again... Uh, people trying to commemorate him and everything else. It's a you know sick, 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 sick world out there with that. Now, uh, we're going to have a war update. And again, I erased everything. So hold on. We're going to go to commercial break here. And if I'm any longer, we're going to uh, probably go to some music. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com So here we have extreme risk of taking Ozempic. Again, we've been uh, talking about Ozempic on and off here for a couple of months uh, because that's uh, semaglutide. 
It's uh, prescribed for uh, uh, diabetes, to help control diabetes, but it's also a diet drug. So almost, I mean, here's a story by, I don't have the author here, but it's com. The extreme risk of taking uh, Ozempic is uh, malnutrition. Almost immediately after starting Ozempic, a diabetes medication known for inducing weight loss, a woman uh, uh, for, uh, who's also a medical writer in North Bergen, New Jersey, was left without any semblance of an appetite. She started setting alarms to remind herself to eat. She was also so exhausted that even after 10 hours of sleep, she would collapse onto her couch after work, unable to move. She left purses and clothes strewn across the bed from the floor because she was so queasy all the time, worried that bending down to pick them up would make her vomit. Four months later, her dietitian told her that she may be malnourished. Right? She said... How can I be malnourished? I'm over 200 pounds. She recalled thinking she stopped taking Ozempic last fall. Her doctor originally recommended Ozempic because this person had a polycystic ovary syndrome, a hormonal condition that occurs alongside insulin resistance. The weekly injections led to constant low-level nausea, a squiggly sickness in her stomach. She lost all her desire to eat. They're saying that that is rare. But uh, people become malnourished on this. Uh, I believe it. Uh, I absolutely, 100% believe it. This is from the DailyMail.com. EcoZealots returned to the U.S. to wreak havoc on Boston as they slashed 43 tires on luxury SUVs, including Land Rovers and Mercedes, and leaflets on cars saying your gas guzzler kills. The Eco Mob dubbed the tire extinguishers as returned to the United States. The group deflates tires on the SUVs because they are more likely to kill people. Climate cells previously claimed they will never be caught after vandalizing New York and striking nine counties and uh, nine countries in one night. So this is, a, again, I'm sorry, a local Ill, uh, issue uh, for us here in the New York area also. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. The return of the group to the U.S. comes after the fanatics previously backed. They will never be caught after hitting 40 SUVs in New York City in July. Again, we're just in time for Earth Day. I tell you what, you're not helping your cause when you're promoting violence. Any kind of violence. So this is from the BBC while with the Russia-Ukraine war. A Russian Sukhoi 34 fighter jet has accidentally bombed the Russian city of Belgorod, around 40, km, km, 40 kilometers from the border of Ukraine. The bomb left a 20-meter crater that caused an explosion so large that it blew a car on to the roof of a nearby shop. Regional Governor Gladkov said the authorities had ordered the evacuation of a damaged nine-story block on flats as a precaution. Three people were injured and several buildings were damaged, he said. All right. uh, okay. Russia says its Air Force accidentally bombed its own city, so they actually admitted it later on. So an escalation here, that's how I'm seeing it. Uh, all NATO members have agreed Ukraine will eventually join. Secretary General of uh, NATO says countries have agreed Kiev will join military lines when war with Russia is over. Well, uh, you know, uh, way to escalate things, folks. The NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has said all member countries will have agreed that Ukraine will eventually join the transatlantic military lines once the war is over. Uh, and eventually uh, ahead of a meeting of Western defense ministers discussing further military aid for Kiev or Kiev. Further announcements on weapons and support are expected after the summit at the Ramstein uh, Air Base in Germany. Okay, so we have that going on. U.S. says it will begin training Ukraine on Abrams tanks within weeks. The 31 M1 Abrams tanks promised by Washington could reach Ukraine by fall, fall far sooner than expected. American officials say, here's what's what we're covering. 
the arrival of Abrams tank, right? The top U.S. defense, uh, this is from the New York Times. Again, they're, go they're arriving at Ramstein Air Base. So they're going to start training on them. Uh, I think it's a little bit too little, a little bit too late here. General Miley said the M1 tanks coming in. Uh, the first ones are training tanks, so they not uh, they are not combat ready. But he added, "I do think the M1 tank, when it's delivered, will make a difference." I don't know. You talk about wars and rumors, of wars and everything else going on here. I just don't believe the stuff that's going on here uh, in this world. So I think we're going to call it a day. Uh, name of the book that we were talking about, right? Revelation for today by uh, Images of Hope by Richard L. Ye uh, Jeske. Uh, phenomenal book. Uh, if you grew up on this stuff like I had, it's an eye-opener. Uh, it'll, it'll lay your uh, things out. Oh, oh, did I talk about religion? We're not supposed to talk about religion either. Oh, Okay. What the hell else is there left to talk about with things? Nothing's interesting out there, let's face it. So I want everybody to go out tomorrow's Earth Day, do something good for the Earth. Now, every community is having uh, uh, having uh, events, if they haven't already. Go out and do an Earth Day event. If you can't do that, then go out there and uh, do something. Pick up trash, side of the road safely with a safety vest on uh something else you could do is the other side of the environmental movement which i'll call here which we covered recently uh from the international conference on climate change there's a lot of other environmental issues out there that we need to worry about other than climate change and there's more agreement than disagreement here nobody wants dirty well i don't want to say nobody but reasonable people do not want dirty air dirty water energy to be wasted or anything like that. And, uh, you know, uh, that's along, uh, those, uh, things. So, uh, I might be here tomorrow for Earth Day, uh, quite briefly, uh, but we'll see what happens for safety wars. This is Jim Pozel. I will see you on Monday. Definitely. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.